couple things right off the bat here. Uh, one, I have a kink in my neck, so if I turn suddenly, and you see me wince, all right, that's just pain, okay, all right, um, and we're going to, we'll mention pain in a little bit. Uh, the other thing is, um, got a little cough going on, I think it's from the communion wafer from the first service, okay, um, and then last, uh, I failed to mention, Pastor Dan's not feeling well today, so he's home, so Dan, if you're out there, hello, uh, good to have, we're praying for you as well, hope you get better, um, came upon him suddenly on, I think it was Friday, and um, so just uh, praying for him as well. All right, so here we are. We're in a series. Uh, 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 it's a Sunday-Wednesday series. This is it. We get preaching today and some teaching on, on Wednesday, and we're going to talk about this idea of, of managing conflict to maintain unity in Christ. And so we have, we have been kind of, uh, <clears throat> we've been advertising this particular grace and truth discussion. This is the first one that we've ever had in the sense of an organized Sunday sermon and then a Wednesday night. Uh, there, there will probably be some discussion of sorts, okay? But it's, this first one is more laying the groundwork for all the ones that are going to come in the future. Uh, conflict is not necessarily something we have to have conflict over, all right? Maybe we will, but we'll see. But it's more or less kind of laying the groundwork. So uh, today we're going to enter into this second half of the title and kind of look at maintaining unity, our unity in Christ. Uh, Wednesday, we're going to get more practical and we're going to look a little bit more about how do we do that best within our uh, church body. All right, so this is kind of give you a little heads up of where we're going uh, today. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Thank you for coming out. Uh, This is not a time for you to just stand up in the middle. I have a conflict, right? I'd appreciate if you wouldn't do that because we're already probably going to go a tad long. Uh, and, but Wednesday, Wednesday night is also not that time for you to do that. So uh, let's get this one under our belt, and then we'll, we'll go on and, and, uh, and have some of our future grace and truth discussions in the future. All right, so I'm going to start off with this question. Can we agree that God wants his children to love one another? Oh, amen. All right. How do we know that? Well, we've been studying First John and the, and, and the gospel of John for months, it seems like, going in and out, talking about the apostle of love. And so I think we can agree uh, that God wants his children to love one another. Uh, as you look at John 13, 34, and 35, this is that verse that I used when we actually went through the, the, the mini-series called Love Like Jesus. And, and this is the, the foundational verse I used uh, to kind of launch that um, preaching series. And, it's, and, and so let's remind ourselves what it says. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So part of our discipleship, part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to make sure that we're loving the other disciples of Jesus Christ. This does not mean we don't have to love uh, those who are not disciples because uh, we know we're supposed to love all people, even our enemies. That's the standard by which God uh, calls us to love. So this is a wonderful commandment and we know that he desires us to love one another. So let's ask, oh, well, that just makes it obvious with the gold text there, is that he says it three times in a matter of two verses. Let's ask ourselves this question. Can we agree that God wants his children to live in unity? I think the other answer is, yeah, thank you. Someone's already answering it yes out loud. I didn't even have to do this. Thank you. Yeah, we're called to live in unity. And you'd be like, are we preaching about unity again? Is this another sermon about unity? I'm out of here. 
All right? There was a time when it seemed like we were hitting unity quite a bit, and I, through the grapevine, uh, that loving grapevine, uh, people were asking, why are we, why is pastor always preaching on unity? Are we like not unified or something? Does he have a poor perception of who we are? No, I have a realistic perception of who we are, and that is we're people, and people don't always agree. How many people are going for the Bengals? Wow. And how many are going for the Rams, right? I don't see any hands up. Bengals? Rams. Bengals? Rams. Apparently, Bengals are going to win. All right, so, uh, but we could have some conflict about that, couldn't we? All right, we should have some unity, and then certainly football is not that uh, illustration we want to use for unity. All right, I heard someone say Patriots, right? Hey, at least you have a team. They took my team away from me. All right, I'm having, I'm a little conflicted about that, right? I am now officially a Patriots fan because they took my Redskins away from me. All right, so um, they did. All right, the Washington. Commanders, all right. Are you a Washington fan? All right, still? Redskins. Brother, we got to meet after church, okay? There's not too many of these sanctified people. I'm sorry. These, uh, uh, yeah, we'll talk later, man. So, yeah, so can we agree that he wants his children to live in unity? Well, yeah, and so he's, but it's not a New Testament concept. Just kind of like the new commandment, it's not necessarily a brand new commandment because it was the old commandment, love God, love your neighbor. This is, uh, the unity is taught even back in the Old Testament. Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, that's, that's us, uh, to dwell together in unity. This, has been, this is what God enjoys. This is what we're supposed to enjoy. He says in Colossians 3.14, above all, this is Paul speaking to the church of Colossae, right? Uh, above all, put on love. There's that word, the perfect bond of unity. And here, Paul joins the two together. God wants us to love one another. God wants us to be unified. And notice this, this word. I want to bring your attention to this word bond here. This word bond means to, uh, also means fetter or sinew. Fetter is like handcuffs. Chain, you know, something, it's, cha- it's your chains, you're a prisoner, you're in handcuffs, you know, or, or body cuffs, whatever they call those things, right? You can't move. It's supposed to keep you under control and keep you where you're at. Sinew we get, especially when Paul talks about the body, and we'll see some of that reference a little bit later. Sinew is the joints. It holds things in line, right? I have a bad knee, all right? Uh, bad knees, actually. Uh, I, have, I have a couple bad things all over the place, right? A little, I have a bum shoulder. It's partially torn, a knee, partially torn. And, and so these, these ligaments, these different things, you know, they, they, they are there to hold things together. And he's saying that's what love is. He says, above all, Paul says, put on love. What kind of love, Paul? The perfect bond of unity love. And so folks, this is what we're called to. This is not optional, but I got to keep going. So this is kind of the main thought, but Really, the practical aspect is, is the outworking of this is kind of the main thought for me, too, because I'm exhorting you as I'm exhorting myself, as the Word of God is exhorting me, is to live out this unity in our family, right? To love like Jesus means we live in unity with each other. It's not optional. It is mandatory, and we're going to talk all about it today, all right? So we're going to primarily focus on Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, 
And then we're going to segue into some pastoral exhortation. Uh, of remember, every time I do that, I'm looking in the mirror, right? So as well, as I'm, I'm applying this to myself. Uh, and then we're going to go into the Lord's Supper, and then we'll close, okay? But uh, just so you know, kind of the, how we're working this. So Ephesians 4, this is a scripture reading that, that was read for us earlier. And we're just going to walk through probably in more detail the first three or four verses and then we're going to actually uh, work through the rest of it very quickly. Uh, and there's even a portion where we're going to skip because it's more, uh, it's not that it's not important, it's vitally important. It's just as it's dealing with, Paul kind of steps out and, and focuses on Christ and his, his coming and, his, uh, and, and what that means. But we're going to kind of skip, I think it's 10 and 11 as, as we go. But let's just start off here. He says, therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, he was an actual prisoner at this time, so he was a prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you, I exhort you, I'm strongly encouraging you, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This idea of walking, wor- excuse me, this idea of walking worthy is the idea of live correctly, live rightfully, live to God's glory, live in such a way that God says, you've done right. You're, you're honoring me with your life. That's what it means to walk worthy of this calling which you were called. And so uh, Paul just jumps right in and he's saying, that, again, this therefore is building off of chapters 1, 2, and 3. The chapter uh, divisions are, are not thus saith the Lord. They're helpful for us to understand how to find things, how to remember things. But he is saying, therefore, everything that he's talked about in the first three chapters I'm beseeching you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So um, I actually, uh, what is this calling Paul referring, is referring to? I like uh, a gentleman by the name of Gene Getz. Gene Getz is uh, a guy who's written a number of books, and, and I've actually uh, had conversation with him personally. Just, just a very genuine uh, guy. He has a, a, a life, uh, a Bible, I can't remember, a Life Essentials Bible. And if you get that Bible, uh, the Life Essential one, as you read through it, I think you can get it through in a, in a couple different uh, translations. But he has little barcodes you scan with your camera, and it brings up a, a video that teaches you. It's really sh- about maybe five to ten minutes long, and it walks you right through the whole Bible. All right? Pretty, pretty cool. All right? But he summarized uh, the first three chapters this way, and I'm just going to go by what he said for sake of time. He said, The Father has chosen us. The Son has redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit has sealed us. And if you, and I encourage you, read the first three chapters of Ephesians and, and see how this comes into, into being. But uh, he's saying, I therefore exhort you, walk worthy of the calling by which you were called. Well, what calling? The, the calling that the Father chose you for, the Son redeemed you for, and the Holy Spirit has sealed you for. This is your calling. You are called to live out your faith as I am called to live out mine. We are supposed to be passionate about our faith. The Christian faith is not something that you just adopt and kind of leave on a shelf or take out on Sundays. This is an all-encompassing way of life. Because that's what God calls us to. And so, he, you know, this, this, have this in your head as we go through this. The Father has chosen, the Son's redeemed, the Holy Spirit is sealed. And he says, so we ask ourselves, how are we to live in a worthy manner of calling? So he's, listen, I'm challenging you, exhorting you, live this way. Well, what way? How are, what, what is supposed to be characteristic of our life? Well, he says, with all lowliness, gentleness. Now, those two words, by the way, a lot alike. 
right? Some, some ways this word gentleness is translated humble. Lowliness is translated humble. We'll get there in a minute. He says with long suffering. This is the way it's supposed to characterize us as we live out our faith in, in, in unity. And we're supposed to bear with one, or, one another in love. And there's that word love. Uh, and so as we, as we consider these words, uh, Christians are called to live lowly. It's the idea of humble humility. You're going to see it. Uh, we can go to um, uh, Philippians 2 and talk about Jesus and, and how we are to model his humility. Well, this idea of gentle is the idea of non-disciplinary or non-disciplinarian. All right. How many of you are the disciplinarians in your home? Right. Wow. There's no discipline happening. Right. <laughs> Hey, have you ever heard spoil, uh, spoil, uh, spare at the rod, spoil the child? Oh, sorry, that's a different message for a different day, but it's true. It's true, right? Non-discipline. Where am I getting this from? Well, the same word is used here in 1 Corinthians 4.21. It says, what do you mean? This is Paul. What do you mean? Uh, uh, shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So the, what we see is this, this is the same word. What we see is this, uh, this idea of gentleness is uh, how we understand it. It's not disciplinarian. It's the idea of, of Paul is coming with a spirit of gentle, of caring, of, of seeking the best for the person, uh, not, not seeking to bring the rightful chastisement he could bring, but he's choosing not to. And that's the way, if we, as, we, as we think about this, we are supposed to be characterized as we're living out our lives to the honor of God and walking worthy in the, in the, in the fact that we have been called, redeemed, or chosen, redeemed, and, and sealed. We're to be humble, and we're supposed to be non-disciplinarian. That means you are not to be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. You are not supposed to be that person to point the finger and say, Hey, get that speck out of your eye before being that person that goes and says, oh, let me remove the beam, Matthew 7, out of my own eye. Right? You, you know that, right? When we, when we come, it's not that we don't, we're supposed to confront one another. We're supposed to exhort one another to love and good works. We're supposed to be characterized by, by being in each other's lives. I've been preaching that for a long, long time. Uh, well, three years here, but a lot longer than that. So Christians are called to live lo- uh, uh, humbly uh, and, and with a, a spirit of, of, of non-disciplinarian, right? And, and then he says, uh, he goes on and says, we're supposed to be long-suffering, to suffer long with others. This is the idea. There's something in the midst of others, this idea of a disagreement, a dispute, a something, a conflict. Uh, there's this, and we have to suffer long with others because other people what? Other people don't see the things that we see the same way we see them, and they don't agree with us. And so you have to be patient with one another. Uh, my wife has been saying for almost, well, actually, it's, it's, it's been three decades, right? We're, we're at 33 next, next Friday, right? And she's been saying for 30-plus years, I'm patient. And when I look in the mirror, I'm like, uh-uh. Because I know what's going on inside of me, and I'm thinking, I am not the poster child for being patient. I'm just not. I, I, I may be on the outside, but listen, I can wear the mask. I can wear the mask like anybody, right? But I'm telling you, this is, this is hard stuff. To suffer long is, is, is hard work, but it's essential work. We must do it. It doesn't come easy. That's why it's long-suffering. It's, it's, it has a, a bit of angst to it, right? 
He says that we're supposed to uh, live out this calling in such a way that honors God by bearing with one another, right? He's, uh, that idea of bearing is to endure, to put up with. Have you ever considered the fact that as often as we think about how we endure and put up with others, they might be thinking the same thing about us? It's one of those, let's go back to the humble word, right? That's a humbling comment, right? That others are, long, are suffering long with us. Others are bearing, enduring with us. And, and you know what? It works. Because we've been chosen, redeemed, and sealed, it works in Christ. This is what the life that we're called uh, to live. He goes on in verse 3. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, I personally absolutely love this word, endeavoring. All right, We're, we'll look at that a, a little closer, but uh, it might not mean what you think it means. Uh, endeavoring, endeavoring to what? To keep the unity of the Spirit. We have unity. We must endeavor to keep it. What is the unity we have? We have the unity of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But if, by the fact that all Christians are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit, that is the foundation of our unity. We all have the same Spirit. And that's why when we have congregational government, when we have different things, we're looking to see what other people are saying because the Holy Spirit is going to not send mixed messages. It may not be clear immediately, but we ought to go through the hard work of seeking this unity. And it's, and it's an endeavoring to keep this unity of the Spirit. Well, let's look at this word. So we're called to be endeavoring. It's, it, the word endeavoring means to be eager, to be zealous for this. Let's, let's just look at this. To be eager and zealous to keep the unity of the Spirit. That's, that's what it's saying. What it's not saying is that this is a meager attempt. Well, I tried. I endeavored. Honestly, some people are like, I endeavored to make it to the store. I mean, that's kind of a boring statement. I wasn't eagerly, zealously trying to get to the store. Well, maybe I was, but I'm just saying, if we take it in the wrong sense, it doesn't mean a, a meager attempt. It doesn't mean a half-hearted, uh, well, I'll try, right? Hey, you know what, brother, sister in Christ, I noticed that there was this interaction with you and another believer at church, and it didn't look like it was going well. What was all that? Do you need to, like, reconcile with that person? Well, you know, yeah, I tried. Oh, oh, right, how did that go? Well, I, I'm not really sure. It was about five years ago, right? No, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. It's not like I'll try. It's not meager. It's eager. It's zealous. We are supposed to be pursuing this truth, the fact that we have unity, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not questioning the unity. I'm saying we have it. Let's keep it healthy. It's, uh, it says to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond. It's the exact same word. It's that word, that sinew, that, that fetter, that binding. Let, let's, let's keep this, this unity of the Spirit in the bond of not love this time, not the perfect love, but in peace. All right, so we, we have the, the perfect love as it's lived out. It's the love of God in our lives, worked through our lives, into the lives of others. But now he says we also have this bond of peace, this sinew of peace, holding things together. Well, what does that word mean? What does peace mean? It means eh, one of the translations of harmony, the other one's tranquility. I, I like, I wish I had put the second one up there. I like harmony. You know, I don't know anything about music. I know what I like, 
right? And I know when people do it well. And, and I like all kinds, all different uh, genres of music. Uh, I'll be, uh, but this harmony is something I had to learn. The first time I heard someone singing in parts was the pastor of the church. I was in the greeting ministry, and so I'm out in the foyer of the church. You know, the singing's going on. I'm greeting people. I'm getting people connected. And I hear uh, he didn't turn off his mic, and so he's singing. And he's singing his part. And I made a comment to this, and I shouldn't have. I made a comment like, oh, that's funny. Man, he can't sing. And that guy told me, well, he's singing his part. I'm like, what's that? Well, parts is parts, right? No, no, no. Each part is a variation. Yes, that was Pastor Tim, by the way. <laughs> right? so, and uh, I never told him that story, so don't you tell him, all right? So, um, but I heard him singing, and I, I never knew this idea that there's four parts, and, and they, all these differences are coming in, and they create a harmony. And it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. This is, the, this is what we're talking about eagerly, zealously keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, in the bond of harmony. I'm sorry, I went the wrong direction. This bond of harmony, the idea is it's okay to be different, to have different views. The beauty of this church body is the fact that we can, we're eclectic, that we have differing views from different things, and we'll talk about this a little later, but, but we come together and it's still bringing harmony to the body of Christ because of the unity that we have in, this, in, uh, in, in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just, I'm just telling you, folks, this is beautiful. This is what we're called to. And this is why we go along because I'm passionate about this. This is, this is who we are called to be. Why are we to live in a manner worthy of calling? This is why, this is the way. So we know where we're called. We're called to be humble and long-suffering and all those things. But Why? Why are we to live in this manner? Well, if you go into the, the next verses, starting at verse 4, like I said, we'll skip a couple verses as we go through this. Uh, I want you to see something here. There is, notice all the ones that are in the text. Uh, Paul is, he's saying, listen, be unified. Unity is one. But they were living in, in not diversity, unity within diversity or diversity within unity. They were living as if there were multiple, especially that word hope, that one hope there. Uh, as I was doing my studying, it talked about how there was a, a, a hope for the Jews. The Jews thought there was a, a hope for them and a hope for the Gentile Christians, right? A hope for the Jewish Christians, a different hope for the Gentile Christians. Paul is saying, no, there's one body, not Gentiles, and Jewish Christians, right? Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. There's one body. There's one spirit who indwells that body. There's one hope for that body. Uh, there's one Lord. We all agree on that. There's one faith. We all agree on that. There's one baptism. That's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's one God and Father of all. This is all doctrine. This is we can say, yes, we agree with all these ones. He goes on. And he says, uh, well, actually, yeah, why are we living in a manner worthy of our calling? He does go on, but let me, it's, uh, I went the wrong way, all right? Why are we living, I got ahead of myself, and then I went backwards. Because of all the ones of our faith. That's why we need to have unity. That's why we can have unity, is that we have all these ones, and they're true of every single Christian who has ever lived. Christian by faith, not by statement. 
those that have come to the legitimate understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and it was only His death on the cross that paid for all sin of all time, for all people. And all those who come to faith in Him receive forgiveness of their sins, right? We know there's false Christs. There's false Gospels. Paul's saying, no, there's only one true one, and this is what we all believe. Why are we to live in a manner worthy of our calling? Because of the faith found in each one. That's what Paul is saying in the rest of the text. I'll let you look at that so you can get it. I'm going too fast through the slides. But listen, this faith that you have and you have and you have and you have and I have and, and many others, right? Because of the faith found in each one. Notice all the terminology as we go from 7 through 16, skipping a couple of verses there. The focus upon the whole who believe in the ones. He says, but to each one of us. This is, uh, this is talking about the whole body here. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Uh, I believe this gifts is the idea of spiritual gifts, is, is my understanding of it right now, is the idea that he, he didn't leave us empty-handed. He has called us to serve. And it says, and he himself gave. These are some of the gifts. But notice, every time you see the word some, it's a part of the whole. So we see the whole church in action here, not just the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's, we're saying there's some he gave to be these positions, some prophets, some pastors, all right? They, they have their, their part of the whole. Can I remind you of something that all your pastors are members of this church? We're bro- your brothers, we're your brothers in Christ, and, and we are part of the whole. Uh, I tell people, and I say it over and over again, my local church ministry is I'm the pastor. What's your local church ministry? What gifting has God given you that you're intended to exercise in the, in the, in the context of this body? That's the way the church works. And he, he says, I gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. What, for what purpose did they have? For the equipping of the saints. That's all of us. And by the way, it's not like I'm a pastor and not a saint. I'm a pastor and a saint. And the saint and the right, not, you know, not the, you know, you know what I mean, right? It's, we're all saints if we come to faith in Christ. So I, the other pastors are equipping me. I pray I'm equipping them, right? But we're, we're called to be doing this to one another for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, the whole body. So we all have the ones. The ones are all true of us. We all have the faith in the ones, and, that, and it permeates the body. It builds up. It edifies. He says it's going to do that till we all come to the unity of, uh, of the faith. This is, this is, I love Ephesians, right? This is, Pat, this is Paul pouring out church life. He's saying this is why we do what we do. We come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. We talked about we're, we're here to make him mature disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Until he comes and for God's glory, we get all that, but it's to the, mature, to the maturing, the perfect man, woman, and child. To the, and what does that look like? To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Well, what's the fullness of Christ? When we are all maturing together. When we are all in this church life together and sharpening one another. 
He says that we, there's another word, all of us, that we should no longer be children. And sorry, children, but this is, Paul's using you as an illustration. What are children characterized by? Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. All right? It's the idea of, oh, mommy, daddy, can I have that piece of candy? Oh, hey, that's a nice toy. Oh, oh, hey, I just found a dollar, right? You know, going, it's like the idea that, listen, stay focused. Let's do what we're called to do. He says, let's not be those who are characterized being tossed to and fro. We're talking about conflict. Managing conflict to maintain the unity uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and so what we're not supposed to be doing is tossed to and fro. Chasing this discussion and issue and chasing this discussion. And, and, and we'll talk more about how we, how we do that to our detriment in a little bit. Uh, we know there are those outside the church. I would hope they're outside the church. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, we know that those folks are out there. But speaking in the truth of love, this is what? This is the contrast. Uh, he says, listen, don't be those carried away by every wind of doctrine, right? Be those speaking the truth in love. That you may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. From whom, notice this, all this terminology, the whole body joined and knit together by every joint. Now, it's not the word sinew that we had earlier, but it's, it's the idea that we know that's what's being talked about, right? Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, the whole, does its share, causes growth of the whole body uh, for the building up of the entire body in love. He is, he is just laying down church life for these folks. All right, And so we know we have the ones that are all true of us, the one faith, one Lord, one baptism, all that. And then all those who believe that together, we're called to have unity. And if we do it right, we grow. All right, so to love like Jesus means we live in unity with each other. That's, that's, the, that's the point. All right, uh, I wanted to take a moment right now, and if you would, I would like to uh, have you maybe just close your eyes as you would in prayer. Because what we're going to see here is this is Jesus's prayer to his father. It's part of the prayer. It's not the whole prayer, but it's part of it. I would like to read it as a prayer. And I would like to let you, I mean, you can look at the words, don't get me wrong. You can look at the words because maybe you're not understanding the way I'm, I'm reading it. But, but consider this prayer of Jesus, all right? So just read along or, or listen to me as I go along. Jesus says to his father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. 
Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire, I, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer of Jesus. It is a selfless prayer. It's an other-centered prayer. He's praying for those whom he knew, who he knew in, in, as he walked the earth. He has faces and names and life experience to back up those prayers, but he's also praying for all those who will believe from his disciples' words. And that means through generation through generation, you, this prayer is for each and every believer. And so, Father, as we come this morning, as we come to, to consider how we are supposed to walk worthy of the calling by which we've been called, and we understand the elements and the attitudes that need to be true of that, Father, we pray that we would understand we don't do it in our own strength. We do it through the unity that you have given to us that, that exists within the harmony and the unity of the, of the Trinity. Father, the, Father, this is an otherworldly unity that we're talking about. It's not something we can create. It's only something that we can cherish and obey in your strength. Father, I pray your blessing upon the remainder of this time. May we apply the words that we've already heard to our own life and our own body of believers here at Merrimack Valley. But Father, as we get into a little bit more of the uh, practical side of things, I pray that you'd be glorified in the response of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Great prayer. Great prayer. All right? So here's the next question. What threatens unity? Well, I think it's pretty obviously conflict, right? Conflict threatens unity. It doesn't destroy unity. It only threatens. And it can be an empty threat. It can be as we go through here, all right? So think about this. Can we agree that people disagree? Yes. Okay, you're still awake, a few of you, all right? Can we agree? Yeah, people disagree. Here's a question for you. I don't know if we would agree on this answer. Is disagreement the same as conflict? I don't think we all agree. Why? Because this, this is my strong point. It should be. And this is where I'm kind of going out on thus saith Greg. All right? This isn't thus saith the Lord right this moment. As I am wrestling with this idea of conflict, there is such a thing as healthy conflict. We see it throughout Scripture, right? And I'm going to demonstrate it to you with a couple verses in just a moment. Is disagreement the same as conflict? I think it should be, but usually it's not the way we see it lived out in our lives. All right, so consider this. I have a couple statements and some questions here, but fill in the blank. Conflict, conflict is like pain. All right, conflict is like pain. It might not be the way you think I mean it. What I mean by that is that it alerts us to something that something needs attention. When conflict comes within the body of Christ, within the corporate gathering of God's people, conflict, is, it's kind of like pain. It's saying, oh, something's not exactly right here. We've, we've, got, a, we've got something to... Uh, Bring attention to. So as, as we go through this, we can see, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but look at 17. It says, for our light affliction. Light affliction sounds like a eh, little minor pain, a little minor discomfort, right? I think it's actually meaning a whole lot more than that in the text, but I think it's a uh, um, hyperbole. But he's saying, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, because these people are going through uh, a lot of negative stuff, right? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, in other words, this lifetime, and our lifetime is a vapor, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, what happens in this life has eternal significance. He's like, we're going through some stuff now, but in light of eternity, it's a light affliction. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary in this life, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So how should we respond to conflict, right? If conflict is like pain, and it brings attention to things that we need to bring attention to, right, how should we respond to conflict? One, don't avoid it. I got two don'ts and a do, right? Don't avoid it. It is not bad to avoid, or to, to experience, to practice healthy conflict. Marriage counseling is, and, and honestly, parenting is all about just managing the conflict that can take place in the home. Don't avoid it. But also, you, sh- you should not play with it. How many of you are, don't raise your hand. How many of you love the game? Let me play devil's advocate. All right? I'm not saying there's not a fun time to bring that into play. But listen, don't, don't play with conflict. You hurt people if you play with it the wrong way. So how do we respond to conflict? Don't avoid it. Let's face it. Let's, let's confront it. Let's live it out in a healthy way. And let's not play with it to the detriment of others. So what should we do? We should give it the attention it needs. And this is where I pause for a moment and say this. This church has been through conflict in many different ways over the last, I'd say, year and a half, two years. 
And I have not always given it the attention it needs and the timing that it needed it. This is me saying that I don't think I knew how to do it. In this study, one of the fruits of this study is we are setting up some parameters, especially as we talk about Wednesday night, where we can engage in these conversations in unity. Right? In unity. And so how should we respond? Let's give it the attention it needs. All right? Uh, People are like, what do you think people are like? Oh, they're a pain. No, that's the first one. All right? People are like fingerprints. What does that mean? Each person is unique. Each one of you has been created with a personality that God gave you. You have your life experience that God allowed you to experience. You have, you have your perspectives on different things, and they've been formed for different reasons. Each person is a unique creation. How do we know that? Well, in Psalm 139, uh, 13, and this is the Holman Christian Standard Version, it says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God has taken an active part in who you are. It's not by accident. All right? So how should we respond to people? All the uniqueness that's out there. Uh, And it's this. Don't treat them as villains. When you have someone who disagrees with you, don't, don't allow that to become the negative outworking of conflict. Don't have ugly disagreement. That's what we normally think conflict is. I'm telling you, that I think we can have a disagreement in unity. We can have conflict in unity. How should we respond to people? Don't treat them as villains. Don't treat those people who disagree with you as if they're the enemy. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. On the other hand, how should we respond to people? Don't put them on a pedestal. Well, he is so gifted. She is so gifted in explaining my view. I can't really do as good a job as that person does. They are just great when they, when they talk about it. Don't put them on a pedestal. This is the idea of being in a group of people that only say what you want them to, what you, what you believe. This is locking yourself in a room. There's a chapter in a book, I'll reference it on Wednesday, and it says, uh, uh, fellowship group or echo chamber? Are you fellowshipping as believers, or are you just in this echo chamber, and you all just say the same thing back and forth, back and forth, and there's no diversity in your midst. There's no dissenting opinion about what the, what the Scripture might say. We're all saying the same thing all the time as a want, 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 want. All right? It's like, how do we grow from that? Because if we, if we think about this, how should we respond to people? Give them a chance to sharpen you. And what do I mean by that? As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Something's rubbing against something to create the positive aspect of sharpening. Think about uh, Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A wound is something that's inflicted upon you, and it's being done by a genuine friend. It says faithful are those wounds. Those are good wounds. Those are things that are going to take and God's going to use in your life to mature you in the faith to the fullness of Christ if we will all do this together. That echo chamber that we talked about, deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. Right? If you, if, if you just are getting what you want to hear, you're not putting yourself in a position to grow. These are leg- this is not talking about deceit. This is talking about genuine brothers and sisters getting together and walking through life together. So God is like, fill in the blank. This is one of those things. We could pause for a minute, but there's really only one word you can put here. God is like God. 
Because there's nothing else like him. That's the point. He is like no other. Look at what it says in, in Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. He says again in Micah, Micah 7, 18. Who is, a, who is a God like you? Pardon, notice that we're heading into the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. Who is, who is like that? Who is going to forgive all my sin? Who is going to, to do what? Only God can do this. He does not retain his anger forever. That's good news, by the way, for a world that believes that God is a God of wrath. Let's tell them that he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will, he, and he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. That is all good news, folks. That is, that is who God is. And so how should we respond to God? Simply with humility. Because he is sovereign, we are not. Right? Uh, he is... He has given us, uh, uh, Pastor Joe was sharpening me the other day. The idea of providence is the idea of his, his giving of good to us. He is a good giving God. And we can, we can come to him and, and recognize his, his uh, sovereignty and come to him with humility. We can recognize his providence and come to him with thankfulness. We can come to him knowing that he is God and we are called to live by faith. That's the way we respond to God always, all the time. So God gave the church two ordinances to keep unity in focus, all right? So I know we're, we're right on the cusp of, of being done when we're normally done. We're going on the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's enjoy this for a couple minutes. God saw fit to include throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, my people are supposed to be unified in me. My commandments bring unity. They bring health and prosperity to those who will live it. God gave the church. He didn't just write about it. He gave us two pictures of unity. The first one is baptism. When we have people join church, praise the Lord, we had people join both services, and we have a, actually a line of people who are getting ready to join. If you'd like to join, please let us know. Uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to have you part of our church family, and all based upon the personal work of Jesus Christ, right? But we are given baptism. The, the, the picture of a body being lowered into water, totally immersed and coming out, recognizing they have died and they have resurrected. Their sins have been washed away because of what? Because of the God we just read about in Micah. So we have this picture. And when someone comes and they say, I came to faith in Jesus Christ because I believe all the ones and I'm one of the ones that has faith in that. And then I, and I say, listen, I was baptized we remember, oh, I remember when I was baptized. Yeah, that was a significant time in my life. It, it professed my public uh, faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's why we have this ordinance. But what about the Lord's Supper? What unity does it proclaim? Well, let, let's consider the text. We still got a little bit more reading to do. The reality is that Jesus, I don't have time to go through these texts, but let me just point this out. Jesus confronted a conflict in the context of the Last Supper. This dawned on me in preparation for this. In the, in the context of the Last Supper, while they're in the upper room, what were the apostles doing? What were the disciples doing? Well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Well, who's his number one? Who's going to sit, right? Who's going to be? And, and in fact, Jesus confronted that. All right? And, and he did it in Luke 22. You can read it. All right? Uh, I'm going to skip it for now. Paul confronted conflict in the context of the Lord's Supper. I thought this is amazing because we go to the first, uh, we go to the first Corinthians passage, First Corinthians eleven, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But notice the context 
of this passage. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. Now, sorry that word, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, in part I, is the very bottom. I don't know why it jumped on the bottom there. It wasn't when I originally started this. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. This is Paul confronting the Corinthians. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. There is a lack of unity. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved, those who are right, uh, can't, may be recognized among you. Right? So there's those who are right, those who are in this case wrong, and the ones that are right need to be followed. The, needs that are, the ones that are wrong need to be, they need to uh, change their ways. He says, therefore, verse 20, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Remember when we went through this passage, it looks like the Lord's Supper. It tastes like the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper because they're not doing it in unity and in love. How do we know that? He says, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of another, and one is hungry and another is drunk. That's obviously not what we're doing with, with these things, right? But it's, it's, they had a, it was a genuine feast they would have. And these, they were not loving each other in unity. He says, uh, it goes on, it says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Paul is saying the Lord's Supper that you're practicing is not the Lord's Supper because you are not doing it in the unity of love. You are not doing it in loving unity those bonds that are supposed to keep us together. So he goes on, and, and this is the familiar part, and this is where we can bring it home to us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper on a, uh, not as regular, I was talking to somebody, not as regular as, we're, we're planning on doing it, what are we talking about, once a month? Yeah, once a month is what we're hoping to do. I don't know how we got out of the practice of it, to be honest with you. COVID's messed everything up, and I can blame everything on COVID. All right, so uh, we'll just say that. But he goes in, and this is where we enter the picture. He says, therefore, whoever, this is talking about us, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, woman, and child examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There comes a point in time where we are supposed to be reminiscing about this unity that we have in the, in, in the body of Christ, and this is what the, the Lord's Supper is picturing for us. He says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, remember this, you are exhorted and called to the walk worthy of, of your calling, right? He's like, he's like listen, he who... Uh, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, notice this, not discerning the Lord's body. We are not in this context, I do not believe that, they are, that Paul is confronting them and saying, you, you're not envisioning Jesus on the cross the right way. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying that he who eats and drinks this in an unworthy manner brings judgment on himself because he's not, he's not picturing Jesus the right way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in the context of 1 Corinthians, you are not living in right fellowship with one another. You are not loving each other. You are not doing the things that Christ's death, burial, and the resurrection has equipped us to do. And he goes, you are not doing it. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. All right, so at, at this point, I'm going to uh, just take a moment 
And, uh, and we normally do this. It's a time to reflect. He's like, listen, reflect upon it. Examine yourself. But the examination that needs to take place is not just, Lord, am I a horrible, wicked, uh, unrepentant sinner? I mean, you can ask that question. And if you are guilty of it, please repent. And then take the Lord's Supper. It is intended to you to examine and participate. Now, I'll say this. If you're doing it in an unworthy fashion, and in the context, if you are out of right fellowship with your brother or sister in Christ, by all means, do not participate. Go. Make that relationship healthy. Maybe it's you coming to that person to repent. I recognize this, and I need to ask your forgiveness. Maybe someone comes to you. I recognize it. Will you forgive me? If you know that you are out of right fellowship with your brother or sister in Christ, make it right before you go through the motions of, of declaring your faith in, in the symbol of God's love for us. So let's just take a moment. Father, I pray that as we enter into this particular moment in our worship service, that you would be pleased to call to our remembrance those relationships that are struggling. They're not healthy. They're not unified. And Father, I pray that for the, the, the strength and commitment of each individual to surrender to your will and to do what it is that you're calling them to do. Father, may we truly be a body of Christ that is unified in love. Lord, as people do not participate today, I pray that you'd bless them for their honesty and for their intention to make it right. And Father, I pray that you'd open the doors for a loving, peaceful interchange with their brother or sister in Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go in the text, this is the familiar text that we have, and be careful when you open. We'll open the, uh, the bread portion first. He says, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, This is the way you're supposed to do it, Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He concludes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We are proclaimers of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Remember, we have to walk worthy of the calling. What's the calling? We've been chosen, redeemed, and sealed. Let's live it out in such a way where we are living to glorify God, and God will bring the fruit of repentance into other people's lives as we are living this way, as we proclaim not just to ourselves, but to ourselves, uh, uh, the Lord's death until he returns, because we believe in a coming uh, return of Jesus Christ. So to love like Jesus means we live in unity with each other,
So let's manage our conflicts so we can maintain our unity in Jesus Christ, right? So this is where we're saying, let's manage our conflicts. We have to manage them. We can't ignore them. We can't avoid them. And we shouldn't practice them the wrong way. We have to manage them. We're going to focus on this on Wednesday night. And Wednesday evening, we will consider how we can do this best, all right? Uh, uh, with that being said, Aaron, if you please lead us in a closing hymn.